Welcome to the sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where each week you will hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. Today we are going to look at our hands. What's in your hand? Are you willing to trust those you give for the better? Are you simply going to just keep them for yourself? Join us as we find out what it means to not only say, you're a good, good father, but to also know what it means to sacrifice what's in your hand, knowing that the outcome would become a sign from God. And I pray that as you hear this message, may God speak to you and show you ways in which you can live your life, trusting God what you have for Him. Good morning. Yes, my accent isn't local. Uh, I'm from Arkansas. Just don't say I'm Irish. Now, I know that's a difficult thing to say in Boston, but I'm not. Well, it's good to be with you this morning, and thank you for the opportunity to share the word. Uh, I think a picture will come up of my family. So myself and my wife, Sarah, my wife, Sarah, actually, she is American. She grew up in the Midwest. In fact, she grew up in the greatest state, which is Nebraska. Uh, I think there's a connection there. But when we started dating, um, her cousin brought a mission trip to Scotland. We were just dating, and he presented me with my Nebraska gear and was like, this is yours. You'll support Nebraska. I'm like, okay. But we watched the game yesterday. It's bad. But um, she grew up in the Midwest and then all over the United States. And then she came to Scotland as a missionary to pioneer Chi Alpha. Now, Chi Alpha, if you're not aware of it, is the outreach to the secular universities of the United States and around the world. And it's part of the movement we are all part of. And she came and then five years later, she moved back to the United States with a husband and a small child. So the plan kind of took a different path. And anyway, we've now lived in the U.S. for me for 10 years. And five years ago, we pioneered Chi Alpha at Yale. And I'll tell you a little bit more of that story this morning. So, oh yeah, I always forget my kids. That's terrible. I have two kids. My son Cameron is 10. He's me, rule follower, black and white, stay within the boundaries. My daughter Lily is seven. She is her mom. I see your rules. I ignore your rules. I'll do whatever I want. She is definitely a free spirit, my daughter. So let me begin by telling you a story. You've never heard of a little boy called Kaizen Seth. But when he was 19 weeks in the womb, his parents had an ultrasound. And the doctor said, we have some news for you. Number one, your little boy is developing hydrocephalus, which is water on the brain. Number two, his spine is not fusing properly. And number three, he's developing spina bifida. So they said we have three options. Number one is to abort the fetus. Number two is to wait until he is full term and try and operate. And number three is we go into the womb and operate in the womb. Well, for them, number three was the option. And so in 20 weeks in the womb... These surgeons performed the delicate surgery to deal with all of these issues. And 
to God's glory, it was successful, and he is now a healthy young man. But it amazes me that these surgeons could do that. You know, their hands were so skillful, they could go into that small, I mean, at five months, we're talking an incredibly small baby, and do all of that surgery. But their hands were so skilled and gifted. You know, I've been following Jesus almost 30 years. And it feels like there's a question he asks me all the time. Rob, what's in your hand? Are you willing to give me what's in your hand? He's asking me, in other words, are you willing to trust me with what you have? You know, this morning we sang, what, that God is a good, good father. But you see, it's easy to say the words, but it's more important to sacrifice and live the words, isn't it? And so this morning we want to ask ourselves that question, what's in your hand this morning? Because the real question we're asking is, are you willing to trust God with what's in your hand? Now, what's in your hand this morning? Well, the first thing may be your gifts and talents. And as Pastor Brian has already said this morning, you may feel like I don't have much to offer. That my gifts and talents in my hand, my skills, there's not a lot. So within the mission of this church, when the ask is made, hey, can you help with kids' church? You're like, whoa, no, I, I can't help with kids. I'm not skilled to work with kids. Or can you help greeting? I can't be a greeter. Or can you help with this event we're going to do that's going to impact this area? We say, whoa, no, I, I don't feel skilled. And so we never feel qualified. We always feel underqualified for the mission of God. So it might be our skills, but here's another thing that's in our hand, time. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Time. You know, we have an idol now in our culture. The idol is called busyness. When someone asks you, what are you up to? How are you doing? You're like, I'm busy. Because what we mean by that is, I'm important. You know, the test for this one is really obvious. Ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, really, yeah, really good. I don't have a lot on. I got a lot of free time. And we're always like, wait, what? You know, we, because we're like, oh, no, you can't be because you should be busy because busy equals important. It's the idol that we, bought, that we bow to in a culture. So when the call is made for the mission of this church to commit your time to something, we're like, whoa, no, 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 can't do that. You know, we have two young kids, and often I feel like it's one of those, you know in the old war movies where they have this big table, and they're like pushing around the boats and the troops? That's our life. Wait a minute, you said Lily, Lily has, has danced tonight? Yeah, but Cameron has soccer, and I'm not here. We need a third parent in this house. How, how are we, you know, it feels like we're always juggling the kids, juggling life. And so by 8 p.m. at night, I'm exhausted. I just want to sit down for one, at one hour without a child coming down the stairs. Just, and then go to bed. So when the church makes the call, hey, come be part of the mission of this house, we say, I don't have the time. I can't help. Well, here's the third thing that's in our hand. It's our finances. Ooh, that's a hard one. 
For me, it feels like there's too much month at the end of the money. There's a too much month. You know, as missionaries, we get our offering once a month. And for two days, I'm like, we're okay, we're okay. Then by day three, I'm like, no, we're not. Where did it all go? Why did we have to pay the bills? Are they really that important? But you see, our money is one of the things that we hold tightly to. Because what we do have left, we're like, it's mine. And so when the call is made to invest in the mission of the church, whether that's here around the world, we kind of do this and we kind of put our hand back in our pocket. Because we're like, I just can't. I don't have it. So this morning when God is saying to you and to me, what's in your hand, your skills, your time, your money, we go, I just can't, I don't, I just can't do it. So this morning, let's look at a beautiful Jesus story where Jesus answers this very question and he shows us, look, whatever in your hand, if you will sacrifice it to me, watch what I can do. Because what we'll see is Jesus can take what seems like nothing and make it into everything, what seems like little and make it into abundance because that is who our God is. Is. Amen. So this morning, let's look at John 6. <clears throat> it's going to be up on the screen. Let's read this together. John 6, verses 1 through 14. Some of us know this story well. Some of us, it may be the first time we've heard this story. So let's read it together. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Six months' wages would not buy enough food, bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, and about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who'd eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for gathering us this morning, Father. Thank you for being in a place where we can just stop to hear you to worship you, and to be ready for the week. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. Come and speak to us and speak through us, we pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would change, that we would be different on the way out from the way we came in. So we choose to give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are three characters in this story. So let's start with, start with the first characters. Let's call them the disciples, Philip and Andrew. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone says, can you name the 12 disciples, it often goes like this. Oh, James, uh, or no, let's think, uh, 
Peter, James, John, Judas, uh, Thomas, Thor, I'm pretty sure Captain America. You know, poor Philip and Andrew, they never get top billing. And if I were them, I'd be like, for real, the story that's recorded about us is this one? That's not a great story. We don't come out too good in this story. But this is their story. So Philip and Andrew, it's really interesting. Let's start with Philip. Jesus turns to him and says, Philip, where are we to buy the food? Now, if I was one of the other 11 disciples, I'd be like, oh, that was great. He didn't ask me. I can just blend back into the background now. Poor Philip's in the spotlight. Everyone else is like, you have to answer the question. Well, why did Jesus ask Philip? Well, most likely, this was where Philip was from. So if anyone knew where Stop and Shop was, it was Philip. But what does Philip do? He looks at the crowd and he says, there are too many. You know, he looks at the mission and says, we can't reach Belmont. There's too many and there are too few of us. We can't reach Cambridge. There's too many and we are too few. You know, Philip looked out on the mission and said the mission was too great. So we can't do it. Now, it says in Scripture that Jesus was testing Philip. Now, it wasn't like Jesus at the end of this went, if you failed, you're out. Space for another disciple. You know, that's not what happened. What does Jesus do with us always? When we don't grasp something of his character and who he is, he just sends us around the mountain and we get to try again. This was a trust moment for Philip, but he couldn't see it. But he would learn to trust This was a moment of testing. So here we have Jesus asking Philip, hey, where are we to feed them? And Philip's like, the mission is too great. But then we get Andrew. What does Andrew do? He offers up someone else's food. That was so generous of him. Here's a kid. He's got food. You know, he offers up someone else's food. But what does he say? Yeah, but it's only five loaves and two fishes. What's that for the thousands? You see, Philip and Andrew are the opposite sides of the same coin. Philip looks out and says, the mission is too great. Andrew says, and the resources are too little. So we can't do it. How can we see Belmont reach? How can we see Cambridge reach when it's just us and these people don't love God? There's so many, they don't care about God. How are we to do that? The mission is too great and we are too small. That was this moment. That was how the two disciples viewed the call. Most of us know about Henry Ford and the Ford Motor Company. Well, One day he brought in all of his smartest, best engineers and designers and said, I want to design a new engine. And he described what he wanted. And they said, respectfully, Mr. Ford, boss, it can't be done. And he answered with, you're right, I'm the boss, go make it happen. And for six months they tried to design this engine. They came back and they said, we can't do it. And he said, I'm still the boss, go make it happen. They spent another six months and another six months. But eventually, they developed the V8 engine that we know today. 
you see, here were the smartest and the most gifted, and they felt like they had the most resources and the most time, and they said, we're not smart enough, we don't have the resources, it can't be done. But you see, Henry Ford had a different vision. He's like, I think it can. And so for you and me, when we say, but I don't have the skill, I don't have the time, I don't have the finance, and the mission is too great, and I am not enough, Jesus sees something different. And we're going to see that in the rest of this story. So then we've got the second character. If Philip and Andrew are our twofer, then we have the little boy. The lone boy. Now it's interesting, when you begin to look at his story, we can begin to understand who he is. Now it says that he had barley loaves. Well, that means nothing to you and me. But there was a Jewish saying in the day, and it was, look at that field of barley. And the answer was, tell it to the donkeys. What did that mean? It meant that only the poorest of the poor ate barley. You had to be so poor to rely on barley for your bread. So the first thing we can acknowledge is this boy's family were incredibly poor. So we can also say that these five loaves and two fishes were everything for them. That was the day. They had no other food and they would not be able to get any more. Now it also says he was by himself. Well, that's not technically true. He may have been standing by himself in this moment, but somewhere in that crowd were his family. He would not be alone. That was not the culture. But in this moment, this little boy is holding all of the food, everything they had for him, his brothers and sisters, and his family. And this very kind disciple called Andrew said, let's take his food. What would you do? See, here's the problem for you and me. We know the end of the story. That's our problem. We would be like, it's all right. Jesus is going to do a miracle. Everybody's going to get food. You're good. Because we know the end. He didn't. Here he is standing here. He can't even see mom and dad in the crowd. There's so many. For even for them to be saying, no, no. So he can't look to them. He has everything that they own for that day. It is everything to them. And what does he do? He gives everything to Jesus. Not a little, not a part. He doesn't say, I will give you one half of a fish and one one half of a loaf. He gives it all. He gives all that he has in his hand to Jesus, not knowing the outcome, not knowing how the story will unfold. He has no idea, but in this moment, he trusts the rabbi. What about you? I don't have, I don't have the time and what I have is so small. I don't have the skills. I'm just not good enough. I don't have the finance and what I have is mine. And so there's no sacrifice. So there's no miracle. There's a story told about a well in the middle of the Saragossa Desert in Nevada. And in the early 1930s, here was the note that was next to the well. Now remember, hot desert. And the note said the following. 
This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out of the sun, cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour out about one-fourth and let her soak to wet the leather. Then pour in the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get all the water you need, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next person. P.S. Don't drink the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all that you can hold. What would you do? I mean, let's be honest. You're in the desert. Bottle of cold, refreshing water that will satisfy you. A letter written by someone you don't know that says, if you do this, you'll get all you need and so will someone else. I kind of know which way I want to lean to. I'll just take a drink of the water. You see, this is this moment for this little boy. Here's all our food. I can just keep it. Or I can trust the words of this man. And not just me that will be fed, but others will be fed too. What would you do? This morning, what's in your hand? So the final character in our story, Jesus. Jesus. What does he do? Well, Jesus gets the food. He takes the food and he does a miracle. But it's interesting. John doesn't call it a miracle. What does he call it? A sign. A sign. So what does Jesus do in this moment? These five loaves and two fishes feeds everyone to abundance. They have all they need. But not only that, there is more left at the end. Jesus did two things. First of all, he met a physical need. People were hungry. But he also met the spiritual need because what do the people end with saying? Hey, is this the prophet? And there's the sign. You see, the sign points to Jesus. It's not just a miracle, it's a sign. A miracle satisfies me. A sign points to someone else. So this morning as I came up into your church, I go to lots of churches as a missionary. I'm still nervous. I'm still apprehensive. I don't know the church. I don't know the people. And I'm really actually quite an introvert. So I'm like, this is, this is one of the worst things in the world for me. But Pastor Brian met me with a smile and shook my hand and brought me in. That was a physical need <laughs> to meet me at the door. But it relaxed me and reminded me that Jesus is in this house. And then as I walked around, I met some of you and you smiled and you said, hi. <sighs> Jesus is in this place. You see, when we're willing to sacrifice Everything we have for Jesus, often a physical need is met. I hear people say, I can't, I can't greet. I'm like, can you smile? You can greet. But I'm shy. That's actually the best place because you just have to say hi and then move on. You don't have to hold a conversation. I can't ever work with kids. You were a kid once. 
that's pretty good qualification. I can't get involved in the mission of the church. Yeah, but when we don't sacrifice for the mission, there is no miracle and there is no sign. So who is our faith for? Is it just for me? What's in your hand this morning? What's in your hand? So let me tell you a little bit of our story. So we moved to the United States and I was in seminary where we're living in in Virginia. And Virginia is as Christian as Christian can be. Like I used to go to the local Starbucks. There was a Bible study, a prayer meeting. People were having counseling. I'm like, where am I? I'm European. It's not normal. And my wife loves Europe. That's why she came. So with about a year left in seminary, we began to pray and fast and ask the Lord where he would lead us. Now, we did the worst thing. We put three fleeces before the Lord. Don't do that. It's not good. And we basically said this, Lord, we want to be in New England because it's the most like Europe. It's what we know. People don't love Jesus. We actually are attracted to that. But it's how I grew up and it's where Sarah ministered for years. So we said, Lord, would you take us to New England? Number two, would you take us into campus ministry? Because we feel you've wired us to reach college students. And we said, number three, can you take us somewhere where no one's doing ministry like how we would do ministry? And as we prayed and fasted, Yale University kept on coming up. And I was like, nope. Mm -mm 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 -mm. They are incredibly smart students. Me, not so much. You see, immediately I'm seeing my skills and my talents and I'm saying, they're not going to work. And then it meant it would be missionary life. I'm like, but wait a minute, will we ever like own a home as missionaries? I mean, missionaries don't get a lot of money. You see, that was beginning to kick in with, well, but my finances. And I had seen pastors and I was like, pastors work long hours. It's hard. So I began to withdraw my time. You see, I was going to withdraw my time, my finance, and my skills and put them in my pocket. I wanted an easy life. And this was going to be hard. But over the space of five months, sorry, three months, we heard five preaches from Jonah. How often do you hear Jonah preached? Not a lot, right? Well, why Jonah? Well, right at the end of Jonah, there's this really weird line. Where God basically says to Jonah, hey, why should I not care for the great city of Nineveh, comma, population 120,000 people? That's weird. Why do you have to name the number of people in this city? Why name 120,000 people, God? Well, as we were praying about Yale, the population of New Haven, Connecticut is 120,000 people. And it just felt like God was doing this. It's Yale. It's Yale. Anyway, I did a week intensive class on how we would pioneer a new ministry. And Sarah had been gone for a week. And I picked her up at the airport. And for the whole journey home, I gave her every reason why we cannot move to New England. And we cannot pioneer. I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a pioneer. I had zero of the characteristics of a pioneer. I'm like, this is not me. I'm just going to get myself a little teaching job. It's what I'm good at. Anyway, my wife is very wise. She said nothing. We go to church the next morning, 
it's a guest speaker. His first words, do you ever feel God is calling you to something and you just say, I can't do it? That's not good. He said, let's turn to the book of Jonah. Mm, mm, mm. Twice in the sermon, he stopped and said, some of you guys need to move to New England. Mm, No, no, no. But we knew. So in January 2011, we flew up uh, to Boston and we landed in January the 14th. Do you remember January the 14th, 2011? Three feet of snow had fallen in a day. Now, as we drove to New Haven, my wife had grown up in Nebraska. So she's like, this is great. Look at the snow. I'm like, where am I? We don't really get snow in Scotland. People think we do, but we don't. We're just wet. So we drive to New Haven and we prayer walk the campus for four minutes. And I'm like, it's so cold. What is wrong with this place? Find me a Starbucks. Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Donuts. I'm like... No, I, this place is this no. This is a this is a whole a whole new world. So we find the one Starbucks. I'm like, it's a sign. And we sit and we're talking. You see, because nothing was attractive. There was nothing naturally attractive about what God was calling us to do. And I had my skills, my talent, my finance, and I had shoved it right firmly in my pocket. And I felt God say to me, "This is your Nineveh." And I knew I had to share it with Sarah. And I said, honey, I feel God saying this is our Nineveh. And she began to cry. And I thought, she definitely does not want to move here. But she said, you know, since we landed in Boston for the whole day, I've had one phrase in my head. This is your Nineveh. This is your Nineveh. So we cried in that Starbucks because we knew. And we took our five loaves and two fishes and put it on the table. And we said, Jesus, we give you everything. We choose to sacrifice it all for you. We sacrifice our dreams, our hopes, our skills, our time, and our finance for you. That we may be people who meet a need, that people can see the sign that points to you. This morning, What's on your hand? Who are you this morning? Are you like Philip and Andrew? You look on the mission of this church and you're like, it's too great. We can't do it. Or are you, I don't have the skill, the talent or the time to do this. Are we going to be like the little boy? Jesus, I'm going to lay my five loaves and two fishes before you. But I do get to know the end of the story, that you are a good, good father, and I will never need for anything. I don't know how the path will walk, but I can trust you in this moment. And what do we see from this story? When we make that sacrifice, when we give him everything, He does a miracle. He does a miracle. And things change. Abel gave a lamb and sacrificed it before the Lord. Moses, in his hand, was a staff. And when it was thrown down, it was transformed by the power of God. Mary had an alabaster flask of oil, broke it, 
and it spoke of forgiveness. And an old woman had two pennies. And when she gave her everything, the story is still told today. What's in your hand? Are you willing to trust a good, good God that he will do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ask or imagine according to his power working in you and through you? What's in your hand this morning? Will you give it to him? Let's pray. Jesus. We acknowledge this morning that sometimes this is hard. But give us the trust and the faith and the obedience of that little boy to lay everything we have before you, to watch you do a miracle that we can tell of that then is a sign that points to you. It doesn't end with us, it begins with us, Lord. So help us to do, be these people, Lord, all for the glory of the King. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.